Hello there. Welcome to Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. I'm your host, Shelley F. Knight. I'm a former nurse and clinical hypnotherapist, term podcaster and author of Positive Changes, a self-kick book and Good Grief, the A to Z approach of modern day grief healing. In each episode, I aim to share my clinical, spiritual, and personal experience to help you feel inspired to create your own positive changes in life. Fear not, it's not just me. Each week, I will bring on a new guest and they will share their authentic story of positive change and the tools that they used on their journey. So if you're ready to be inspired, let's go. I'm joined by the wonderful Sarah Fox this week on Positive Changes. Sarah came to share her story about kindness, but we end up talking about so much more. He was a disabled man and uh, he had cerebral palsy and and he and you know he he had so many regrets that he hadn't travelled enough, he hadn't done this enough, he hadn't done that enough. And so that for me had really got into my subconscious and my conscious saying you know you you need to take control you need to take control and um make a make a change because you're not happy despite this amazing organization and my team were just i love them you know i truly love them and the work was amazing it wasn't enough and i needed to change so, yeah, I think, you know, again, that growing, that seeing life, it, it's, it's really powerful. We speak openly about death and grief. And I mentioned my next book, Good Grief, The A to Z Approach of Modern Day Grief Healing, which is out in September 2021 with O Books. In there, you will find the tools that we speak of on the show. So that's enough. For now, let's dive straight in and meet the wonderful Sarah. Today on the show, I am joined by the lovely Sarah Fox. Sarah is a founder of Do Good and Do Well, life and leadership coach, a business mentor and host of the Do Good and Do Well podcast. So hello there, Sarah. Hello, Shelley. How are you? Well, I've had a bit of a crazy start to the day, if I'm honest. But what happens off air stays off air. <laughs> okay, I'll zip it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we've got a special bond already. Bless you. Now, I love your story. You've been on quite a journey. And I think loads of people are going to relate to this. I know I do. So please share your story of positive changes. Uh, I will. Thank you. Um, oh, it's so—it's quite hard to know where to start in many ways because it—you know—I feel like I feel like I'm here because of so many things that have happened in my life. I mean, lots of people say that, but um, I suppose the thing I really wanted to share this morning was my story around kindness and how it's—I <laughs> kind of run out of it a little bit. Um, <laughs> not a little bit a lot um so so i i think it's important to know that i grew up on a on a really working class estate so um 
you know that is that's an important part of my story and I ended up going to um, a grammar school which was quite a weird thing for me uh, going from being surrounded by particular people to suddenly being at a girls grammar school where everybody sort of seemed much better than me I had like real comparisonitis and one of the things I think I started to really do was people please you know and I know this now because I've spent a lot of time thinking about my own story um but in order to kind of gain affection feel like I belonged in a place I um just wanted to please people all the time and and I was you know a really kind generous person um and uh just I, I always had volunteered I volunteered at school I did a petition at school to try and get girls to wear trousers because they weren't allowed at the time and I was a bit of an activist as well and um I really you know wanted to help people I was so driven by helping people I wanted to help the world and that was partly because I didn't I had I had had so many experiences where I didn't feel like I belonged so I wanted to help people to feel like they belong and to feel good about themselves um I when I left university I taught performing arts for a while like a local college and then decided you know what I I need to do something more. I felt like I wanted to make more of a difference. And I, I ended up working um, for a housing association as a community artist, really trying to help particularly young people access the arts because the, for me, the arts had also changed my life, which is another part of my story. And um, so I did that for a while. I worked in uh, in in neighborhoods where people had really difficult challenging lives I was on the front line you know I saw all of that and then I was made redundant um because of 2008 the lovely housing uh or not the the financial crisis should I say and ended up getting this amazing job for a small arts charity called People United and it it's all about how arts and creativity can build kinder and more caring communities. So kindness, as you know, I kind for me, kindness is an active word. It's a doing word, right? We we um, and so for me, working in this organisation, kindness was really at the heart of everything I was doing, and I was learning a lot about kindness, the theory behind it, and. It was amazing. It was an amazing job. I loved it so much. I ended up having two children um, as well during that time. It, this is all in my 30s. Um, and, and I ended up with a leadership role there. And what happened was I sort of forgot myself in all of this. And I was very... I spent a lot of time being very, very kind to other people um, and forgot to be kind to myself. And what I noticed about 10 years into, well, about nine, eight, nine years into the job is that I would go to work. I would be so kind to everybody. You know, I would be people pleasing to my heart's content. And there's, you know, there's when 
there's the help is high, you know, that you get that you get all the really good hormones when you're helping people. So I had all of that going on as well. But then when I got home, I was absolutely exhausted and I had nothing left for my family. And I certainly had nothing left for me. So I had to make a decision you know I loved my job it was very family orientated it was on the outside it was you know it looked amazing and and there were so many brilliant things that I was doing I was working with these incredible artists and working with big arts organizations in the UK and but I just it it wasn't working for my life anymore and I yeah had to do something about it so I wrote a long um a long list of why I should stay and why I should go and I had nothing to go to you know this is quite a difficult decision for me because I didn't I I didn't have another job I just knew that I needed to do something different I needed to come out of that sector for a little bit I needed to um find find myself really and who I was not who I was in that organization and that job and um yeah and and so I did this list spoke to some people about it you know really close friends and family and made the decision to leave that organization and it was so hard it was so hard um and then I I spent a lot of time growing vegetables (laughs) not always very well (laughs) but you know just outside and being with my children and just and doing exercise and just taking care of myself really um and and it was that space that then enabled me to think about other opportunities and so I trained to be a coach and a mentor and and here I am now so yeah that's quite long-winded but um but it, it for me I needed to step away from that job despite it being really good <laughs> yeah and I love that because I resigned from most gorgeous job this year because my health deteriorated and I cried as I resigned and my boss was like Shirley I don't think I want your notice but you have to sometimes don't you and for me it was because of my health I had like very little energy and I wanted to give that to my family which took so long to create but I just love how you the why list like why should I stay why should I go because you know people just sit there and you get overwhelmed you get burnout because you're just thinking the logical ego is I love this job I love this income yeah but but that is an amazing small but mighty positive change when you sit there and write the why list like why should I stay why should I go that's really it's a simple task but I should imagine it was really insightful for you there's something always for me about getting out of my head and writing things down I am a bit of a list maker which isn't always great with my my long to-do list but I don't do that as much but um yeah and I do you know I've just remembered that it didn't it didn't give me the final answer you know it didn't because actually there was just as much on the you know why to stay and why to go and it was all quite it was all quite balanced but a question that I asked myself once I had got all of that out of my head was who needs me most at the moment and the answer was my family and me yeah you know and and I think when you're a change so I work a lot with change makers 
people who want to make a real difference a positive contribution in the world and um especially when you're working on the front line and you're seeing other people who don't have as much or have very tricky challenging lives you know it, it it's it's hard to say no to that yeah. it's hard to go you know what I can't do that anymore and um for me that question of who needs me of who needs me who needs my time and resources was so powerful um and you know and from, it, it was also that recognition that it doesn't mean that I'm never gonna go back to that again although actually now I don't think I would <laughs> but at the time I thought you know nothing is forever is it you know you can make a decision and still you can change your mind yeah. <laughs> and that's okay um so yeah it was it was that list making and it was asking the right questions does that help you now with your coaching because coaching is a lot about asking the right questions maybe is that what inspired you to go that way yeah well I have been coached a little bit um my my line manager had left the organization and become a coach and 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 he had his leadership style had a very um a coachy approach anyway so I knew the power of you know really being listened to and for people to ask that right question and getting really curious about ourselves and and I what I realized is that I'd been I'd been um, working with that coaching approach I just didn't have the accreditation and I was really interested in that really interested in people's stories now I love people I've been so lucky fortunate to have met a whole range of people from a whole range of backgrounds and so for me the to be able to support them so that you know to hold that space for them you know I call it a, a safe space but also a brave space a brave space to get curious about yourself so I think you know yeah for me having been through that process and looking back up I realized I was in a bit of burnout but I didn't realize it at the time looking back I realized that you know I had lots of limiting beliefs about myself that had come from childhood and, and other parts of my life and and so that got me really curious and I thought yeah this is a great job <laughs> I want to <laughs> I want to give people those skills so that they can make d better decisions for themselves rather than feeling like they're penned in and 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 can't change yeah I was going to take you back you mentioned about your childhood and even when you mm -hmm. started like the grammar school it was very much into people pleasing are you still a people pleaser or is there a miraculous cure I think I'm a recovering people pleaser <laughs> I and I'm I notice it I mean I still do it yeah um but I notice it I pick it up and I um I can reframe it a bit and think about Sarah why are you doing this is it because you're in your people pleaser mode or are you in your wise Jedi zen like mode and I you know I have to kind of shift <laughs> sometimes <laughs> um but I you know I think when you people when you are a people pleaser and you you will just give and you give and you give and you know, I was really depleted from all of that giving, yet I was, you know, I'd give a little bit more. <laughs> and I see that in so many people now. And, in, and and that's why I set up Do Good and Do Well, because I wanted to say to people, that, you know, this is a thing that exists because we are human beings. 
And I think so many people think, oh, it's me. It's me. This is just me. You know, I'm like this. And I want to go, no, <laughs> so many people, especially change makers who want to make a difference in the world. You want to do that because of something that's often happened that you've experienced. You've experienced injustice, unhappiness, you know, um, yeah and 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 um I think also the people pleasing my dad modeled that massively he was a huge people pleaser and and so yeah I think there is something about how your parents behave as well and therefore how you end up being in the world yeah I loved how you said like you had the why list like why stay why go and things like that and then you just suddenly leapt to the point that you started growing vegetables <laughs> how did that happen yeah yeah well okay so I um my husband and I had fertility issues that though I will get to that um <laughs> the growing bit so we have fertility issues and ended up having IVF and in, in my first round of IVF uh, it failed and it was springtime and I remember so clearly sitting in the garden and I'd I think I'd grown some tomatoes and they were sprout you know the seedlings were coming up and I remember thinking oh, okay I can't grow a baby but I can grow a tomato <laughs> and and there was you know and, and um there was just so much there was a lot of pain at that point and it and I and the gardening, the growing was quite healing for me. And so when I left that job, which was so part, it was a big part of my identity. You know, I was the second member of staff in that organisation. Um, and so I helped to grow it. And, the, and it felt like a child in many ways for me. So it was it was a painful separation. And so the going to the allotment I got an allotment and digging and being grounded and part of that um that cycle again I just found it really healing um my allotment currently wouldn't tell you that because it's looking a bit of a state because I haven't been there for a while but um it, yeah it was a really important part of the process of me getting out of the house and being able to grow something and be part of the planet really I think that's blooming beautiful I was just curious but then the most stunning story <laughs> came out that, I love how that grew personally Sarah <laughs> that's absolutely beautiful and I totally get the whole growth thing because as people know by now that my husband and I had a huge infertility journey and people from the outside looking in don't believe it because we've got four children but it's horrific but actually what worked for us was the visualization of like you know a seed and a growing and I won't go in depth on the case people having their breakfast but you know we have to visualize certain things happening within the body yeah 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 <laughs> sitting there with your tomato seed and seeing them grow <laughs> and now you can nurture these things actually I'd say if you are struggling with infertility or growing a new business idea then absolutely get outside get grounding get down to earth grow mm. tomatoes yeah yeah it was so it's it's so powerful and actually one of the things I haven't mentioned is that um so the the year that I decided to leave um 
I had turned I was just about to turn 40 and my dad had passed away as well um a couple of years before that and I had had a miscarriage so uh, add to the trauma my nan passed away three weeks after my dad I'm laughing but it's not it's not funny um so so you know I think for me there was this real you know I watched my dad pass away I was there when when he took his last breath and there is something so life-changing you know your your landscape massively changes when you see that happen um and so for me I had all of this playing on in the background about you know the meaning of life and 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 you know how my my dad was only 62 when he passed away passed away on his birthday and you know it was all this like life is short you know it's a cliche but it's so true and and I wanted to get a bit of control back my dad had spent so long kind of wanting he was a disabled man and uh he had cerebral palsy and and he and you know he he had so many regrets that he hadn't traveled enough he hadn't done this enough he hadn't done that enough and so that for me had really got into my subconscious and my conscious saying you know you you need to take control you need to take control and um make a make a change because you're not happy despite this amazing organization and my team were just I love them you know I truly love them and the work was amazing it wasn't enough and I needed to change so yeah I think you know again that growing that seeing life it it's it's really powerful you had so much loss in such a short space of time and I get the laughter I do I run a good grief Northampton death cafe here in the Midlands area of the UK and people say like why would you do that it must be miserable but there's so much laughter there because it's such a fine line isn't it between sort of sadness and joy and sort of like fear and anger there's always this fine line and you'd be laughing oh. one minute and crying the next so I totally get why you're laughing at your dad's death love it's all right yeah yeah and it's funny you say that because when he um so he was in Paul hospital and the staff there were amazing it was over Christmas it was it was he died on boxing day so it was um I don't know what you call it like a skeleton staff kind yeah. of you know yeah um and he had a big family or he has a big family so um there, there were six of them and he's a twin as well so we were all we had this lovely room and it looked out over Pool Bay uh, and there was like a little area outside where we would drink tea and then we'd we'd go in and um you know there were these moments where it was like okay okay he's gonna go now so we'd all sort of go into this room and we'd all be surrounding him and sort of going it's okay it's okay you can go you can go and then and then he sort of I mean he was he wasn't conscious but you know then he'd sort of come back as it were and then we'd all trundle back out and have cups of tea and be laughing and sh sh you know sharing stories and um and then the, the, the brilliant nurses would be like no I think you know it's and then, so we'd all trundle back into the room again and it, it went like on like that for three days <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah they would it was it, yeah and it was Christmas and and I had very small children at the time and yeah it was a it, it was it was hard but I can see I can see the kind of 
hilarity in it as well. And my dad would have done the same. Yeah, no, I love that. In my next book, Good Grief, The Aced Approach of Modern Day Grief Healing, I talk about the timing of death because I see, because my background is like nursing, work to end of mm. life. And I saw it time and time again that if I happened to meet sort of the family years later, they'd still be struck by the grief and the death and they hadn't moved on. Because like, oh, but they died when I wasn't there. I couldn't get there in time. I was on a yeah. school run. And they carry that for the rest of their life, which is no quality of life at all. So it's really important to me to write about the timing of death and what I observed in 30 years in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people fly from the other side of the world, you know, that parent will hold on. They have like, you know, they say got three hours, they're going to pass anything. And they'll hold on for three days until the family come from Germany. But more often than not, I've seen people when the nurse, the evil nurse, sends them that for that, you know, that good old cup of English tea. Yeah. That they die there. And people go, oh, they went for a cup of tea and they died. And I was like, oh, I was only couldn't find a parking space and they died. But in my book, I just write that it's just meant to be. Mm-hmm. They don't want you to have the last memory of that, you know, that chain stoking, that stopping, starting like yourself, going in and out for three days, like the hokey cokey. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah, they, they yeah. love you to their very last breath and you know you don't always have to be there to witness it yeah I think that's so I've got goosebumps uh, talking I've had loads of goosebumps this week but um because we lost my mother-in-law recently and that's exactly what happened that her my my husband and and his siblings were there and they went out to get a cup of tea and the the nurse came in to change my mother-in-law and then she passed away at that moment and my you know my best friend that happened to her mum and yeah I I hear a lot of those stories and um you know we we have to process it don't we whatever happens whatever happens to us and those experiences we it I mean grief is a funny thing and it takes you know it my my a friend of mine described it to me that you sort of feel like you're not over it but you know you're okay and then suddenly someone will come with a big hammer and like whack you over the head suddenly and you'll be like oh no there is it's it's still there um but we need to be better at talking about this stuff you know and I love the fact that you're writing that book it's so important because I think people do feel guilty if they're not their holding hand and I think it's that we often um I call it like the advert head you know when you kind of aspire to to have an experience where which which might look like an advert and I think there is people have people have this feeling of you know I want to sit there and say goodbye to them and, and watch them go and having done that it's not necessarily it's not pleasant obviously um but there there are lots of there are lot there are lots of different experiences as you say and as you're writing about yeah I like to think that we're never alone at the end of our days I mean the book which is out in September talks about that like you know because I thought I left nursing, Sarah, it was very similar to you. Like I was given so much and it was end of life or chemotherapy to life-changing diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I loved it, really loved it. But then I went home and I thought, I do love my family, but I just want to go to bed now. You know, and is that running out of yeah. kindness, that burnout sort of thing. But I've taken from it also, one of the things that changed me in my nursing career was 
as I'd gone through my own losses of like death of loved ones and my own infertility and miscarriages and things, I come to see we're more than the physical body. So then <laughs> I was this kind of kooky nurse who would be with the dying, but then I'd feel changes of the energy and temperature in the room. And I'd see the body changing, but not in a sort of like medical way as such. Mm. You know what I mean? Like more colors and temperatures and visions and things like that. So it's probably why I left. And that's what the book, I hope, helps people because we just see what we want to see, what our ego says we need to see, so that we need to be in that room or they are dead you know that's the end of their story but you know it's not I believe that you know life carries on for us life carries on for them but in a very different address <laughs> um you know things do go on and people do get stuck in grief which is why I do the death cafe and mm. I love what you said about the hammer whacking I call it the grief tsunami that we're trying <laughs> yeah. you know and go on with the flow of life and sometimes we get these waves coming in like you know the death anniversaries or that certain smell which would take you back to your memory yeah. you know and things like that and just when you think I've nailed this grief journey you get that tsunami coming thinking you're so crap at this girl you know <laughs> and that curveball comes in but I think it just reminds yeah. us you're human and you've dared to love at some point I don't think it's a yeah. bad thing I love that. I do. And I think that dare to love, it's so, you know, grief, it, it, it's, it's, it's love, isn't it? Grief is love. Yeah. And um, we're all going to experience it. Yeah. It is the only certainty in life and people hate that, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Bless you. People are probably sitting there thinking they're going to cry because we've gone from tomatoes into death and grief. I know there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of life in that. <laughs> Bless you. So we were saying about your career and how, like, who needs me most at the moment? And you create these positive changes with the why list and, you know, the me time. So for people listening, whether it's, you know, they need to change make a positive change because maybe it is because of grief maybe it is because they're burnt out at work what one positive change would you say they need to make today so um the thing that I think has struck me most both in my own experiences and observing getting curious with other people about their experiences is that we are mostly terrible at talking to ourselves in a kind compassionate way um and if i believe that if we can't do that to ourselves we can't really truly do that for other people either it's not um uh and so for, i would say practice self-compassion practice self-kindness practice self uh, a positive self-talk and you know every day every day even if that's a gratitude journal or you write down three things you love about yourself work towards looking in the mirror to say I love you you know that really makes people cringe when I suggest <laughs> I suggest that but I think you know until we really love ourselves and think that we're worthy of being of loving ourselves then you know I, I think it's much harder to make those changes yeah, I agree. I think I've said probably on most of my podcast episodes, if I'm honest, Sarah, like relationship we have with ourselves is the most important one of all. But going back yeah. to the same topic, because I say this, this is my whole sentence and it's going to go back into the whole grief thing. But 
our whole saying is the relationship you have with yourself is the most important one of all because it's the only one from your first breath to your last mm. see I like end of life I do it makes me realize yeah. how I want to live the first part of my life but it is yeah. true that if we're always looking for happiness or answers externally like you know if I do that job marry that man please that person yeah, yeah. it's not gonna be for you that is one of the life lessons I learned from the dying it's like live your life not someone else's version of it yeah yeah and I do you know I think that's so it's so challenging isn't it when we are given all these messages constantly about how we should be living our lives we should be doing this you know if I was going to say one more thing that like really notice when you're shooting yourself I should be doing this. I, uh, oh, I'm 30. I should be married by now. I should have children. I should, all of that stuff. I've been working for 25 years. I should be a leader. You know, it's like, and, and that's the self-talk. So actually, what is it you want? What do you want in life? And it's okay for you to say that. You are allowed to have wants and desires. Um, and but I think you can only really know that when you start to have that relationship with yourself that's a more positive one and not a critical beat yourself up one yeah I love that because you do say should quite a lot like I said like you know I should have six figures really I'm 47 I should do this because you know I used to have this career but when you ask me about wants and desires are it is kind of well writing books going for walks podcasting and it is Again, life lessons from the dying, the simple things in life, the little things in life at the end of your life are actually the big things that mattered all along. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) More goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) Bless you. Sarah Fox, I've absolutely loved learning your story. I just think you're one amazing woman and everyone should listen to this episode. So thank you for joining us today. <laughs> thank you for having me. I really enjoyed um, talking. <laughs> it's been brilliant. Thank <laughs> you. And don't forget what happened off air stays off air. <laughs> thank you so much again, Sarah Fox. Thanks, Shelley. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kick book from all online book retailers or from ShellyFKnight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelly F. Knight, Life Goes On. As always, I've been Shelly F. Knight and you've been amazing.